0: According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me if you would in Philippians chapter two, Philippians two, and we're starting a new paragraph tonight. We wrapped up the last of uh, the last thing last time. All right, so that means we got down to the end of verse 18, and we covered the last of the details there, and uh, we're ready tonight to introduce verses 19 and following. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. And uh, we'll talk about these uh, travel arrangements and things that uh, uh, pastors would like to do, but uh, don't always get around to it. Other things happen. And uh, that's called life. All right. But you keep yourself in the plan of God and you, uh, you watch to see what He unfolds. And that's, uh, that's a blessing as well. Before we begin tonight, let's take a moment for silent prayer. We'll call upon our Father and His faithfulness to, to teach us the Word of God. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we do come before You tonight thankful for Your grace and truth, rejoicing Father in Your faithfulness. Father, the faithfulness that will be evident once again this evening when uh, the Word of God goes forth it is uh, transmitted by Your Holy Spirit, it is received by Your Holy Spirit. I thank You that we're here tonight for a spiritual function that uh, the comprehension of the Word of God is far beyond anything that uh, our human mentality can grasp I thank you, Father, for the grace apparatus that allows us to perceive and apply the truth of your word. So we call upon your truth again tonight. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, and bless us with your truth. We thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Alright, uh, microphone ready to go. There it is. If we have a volunteer microphone runner tonight. if uh, There we go. Appreciate it. And you get the lead off question. All right, before you surrender the microphone then, you can ask the first question. Okay, my question is Acts 2, um, 2 and 3. When the Holy Spirit came down and came upon came uh, Pente- during Pentecost, mm-hmm. um, what it says here is it appears to them as tongues as of fire distributing themselves. Were these actual flames or fires like we had like in the burning bush or something or or is it just a metaphor at this point no, I would view it as a as a no, I would view it as a representation of the Holy Spirit that is a a, a manifestation like the burning bush or like the dove that descended upon jesus uh, I think the uh, the fact that it comes as as flame uh, and particularly as tongues, I mean all the things that fire can take the shape of. You know, uh, and especially since tongues is going to be the the visible manifestation of it when they start speaking in tongues. Um, But no, uh, yeah, I would take that as a representation of the Holy Spirit there. Okay, thank you. Uh All right, appreciate that. Other questions tonight? There was one that came by email. I'm not sure I wrote that down. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah talking about the use uh chris smith was asking about this is there ever a reference to halagos in the bible where it is not appropriate to interpret it as the word of god uh, or the bible or christ and uh i'm going to answer that next week because i wanted to look up a couple things first (laughs) so uh you have a week to uh look through your halagos usages and uh I'll answer that next week because I think there is, and I think there are some idiomatic expressions of logos that don't ap- apply to the word, they don't apply to Jesus. But that was the question we were exploring in uh, in Hebrews 4:12, because uh, the the word of God is alive and powerful. And is that Jesus? Is that the Bible? Is that the utterances when the word of the Lord comes to a prophet, things like that? So I'll uh, I'll save that for next week. All right, Elias, do you have a question? Mm-hmm. Uh, Second Samuel 24, uh, there's this reference about uh, the passage talks about uh, David numbering the armies uh-huh. and uh, the Lord treating that as a sin because uh, my question was, oh, in what way was that a sin? First of all, was it more along the lines of uh, Psalm 27 where some count, some believe in horses and some in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord, was that sort of a defiance of that? I, I would take it along those lines, that's right. right, yeah, because and, and it's expressed differently whether you're looking at 1 Kings or you're looking at, or I'm sorry, 2 Samuel or you're looking at Chronicles. In Chronicle, 1 Chronicles 21 it specifically says Satan moved David to right. number the, right. so clearly if there's satanic influence then it's not right. Uh, but even if you take out the Satan reference, if you're just limited to, to Second to Samuel on that, it's still not right. And, uh, and God did judge him for it. And that's where he gave him his options of, of three different kinds of discipline in that. So I think, yeah, there's nothing wrong with taking a census in itself. God took two censuses when, when at the Exodus. you know, So we have the book of Numbers, because God took a census of the Exodus generation and a census of the, of the wilderness generation. Uh, But I think it's the the attitude of pride where you start getting uh, boastful about how large you are and and things of that nature. Yeah. Thanks. All right, what else tonight? Other questions? Anything? Did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? No, they did not have belly buttons. (laughs) I can answer that one. All right. Well then, thank you, sir. Let's um, get to Philippians 2, and we'll introduce our new paragraph here. Really, it's the second half of the chapter. So uh, this uh, outline will take us, we'll start over a brand new expositional outline again. So we'll just take it, point one through whatever, and it'll take us down through uh, verse 30. And I've labeled it as travel arrangements, it's probably not the best label, but it's the one I've been using now since we introduced the chapter, so I guess I'll stick with it. Um, Remember, uh, basically the chapter is divided into two halves. The first half is three exhortations, and we've covered those already. Make my joy complete, have this attitude, and work out your salvation. Those are the three exhortations that make up the first half of the chapter, verses 1-18. through Following those exhortations, we then come to the travel arrangements, and uh, the travel arrangements focus on Timothy and Epaphroditus. Now there's more than travel arrangements going on here. And in fact, uh, typically when Paul writes a letter, he reserves the, the hellos and the see you soons and, and you know, Titus says hi kind of messages. He reserves those for the very end of the book. And the fact that he's putting something here in the middle of the book in the midst of chapter 2 while there's still you know, two chapters left to go is actually, uh, I think, significant. And it, Although it appears as if it's travel arrangements, what it really comes down to is the idea that they're going to rejoice together in their sacrifices and that Paul has a sacrifice to make and he's inviting them to uh, rejoice with his sacrifice and then he wants to learn about their sacrifice so that he can rejoice with them. And so these travel arrangements don't lose sight of what we looked at on Sunday and what we looked at last week related to, uh, I guess it was Sunday that we were looking at the, uh, the offerings here in verses 17 and 18 where Paul says, "...even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all." And so this was his part in adding to their sacrifice that uh, that they have a sacrifice in their service and he's just pouring out the drink offering that goes with that see and so we took a little bit of time on Sunday to look at Exodus and look at the the uh, what what is a libation what is a drink offering why do you have a drink offering that goes with the uh, the animal offering and uh, the aspects there and so that's part of what uh, we were looking at and part of what I think leads into this next section because in order for them to worship together uh, they don't have, you know, Facebook. They don't have email. They don't have Skype or or uh, Twitter or any of those other things. If, if Paul's going to learn about their fellow, their sacrifice and the service of their faith, well, then somebody has to go there and find out about it, and then somebody has to come back and tell him about it, and that somebody is going to be Timothy. All right, and not just anybody. And in particular, Paul's going to confess here that Timothy is the only one that he has eligible to go at this time. And that if he sends somebody else that they're not going to be qualified to give the report that he needs. And uh, that their report's going to be flawed on the basis of their um, non-preparation. And so some of these things we'll we'll deal with here shortly. So I'm going to keep it titled Travel Arrangements um, simply because that's what we've been going with now. Uh, But there's a lot more going on than that. And, And pay attention too. I think it's it's, uh, it's, it's interesting, especially since we are a training ministry in, at Austin Bible Church, that we have, uh, we have uh, two that we've already ordained and are pastoring churches today, and uh, there's more that are praying over their giftedness and considering their training and, and what the Lord's going to do with them. Um, this passage addresses that. So uh, it's going to be good for us. All right, So let's look at it. He says, "...I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly." So that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. So, there's multiple people going to be encouraged by this. Timothy's going to be encouraged just by going. And then Paul will be encouraged secondhand. It's like secondhand smoke. This is secondhand encouragement. All right? And so, when Timothy comes back and he brings his report, this is, uh, this is the way it's designed, all right? This is how we love one another. This is how we bear one another's burdens. This is how we rejoice with those who rejoice. And that means we are involved with one another and what's going on, okay? And it's not violating privacy, it's not an intrusion into, into uh, you know, on a legalistic basis or on a gossiping basis, but it's a, it's a, it's a legitimate function of spiritual leadership. And we're going to see that. It gets highlighted here. So, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit. And that's a term that uh, we'll we'll dwell on and we'll consider what what exactly does that mean. Well it's spelled out here. Who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. That's what the kindred spirit is. Paul's attitude is a genuine concern for their welfare and Timothy shares it. And uh, nobody else does, he says in verse twenty-one. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. Okay. Now it's curious to me. That's not a. I don't view that as as a, as a knock. I don't view that as a as an insult. It's just an objective uh, evaluation of where they are. You got to know where your students are. You got to know what they're ready for. You got to know what they're not ready for. You got to know. And it's not an academic issue either. <laughs> He's not talking about who's on the dean's list or who's scoring you know, grade in Greek and Hebrew and systematic theology and church history and all this other stuff. It comes down to the character and the heart preparation and, and none of the rest were there. And there were good men with Paul at this time. Remember when we, we were studying the, the context for this in the, in the uh, third missionary journey there at Ephesus. So uh, but Timothy is the one he is the uh the uh, you would call him uh, well, what would you call him the the uh, anyway valedictorian or whatever you would call him is he's tops in his class and he's ready to be ordained he's ready to go forth he's ready to take his own church as he uh he has this servant's heart, so they all seek after their own interests, but not those of Christ Jesus. but you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. And that testimony there, the humility that he exhibited there, his willingness to grow, his willingness to serve, his willingness to be helpful in whatever capacity, um, that's how you determine what the next generation of leadership is going to be like. You see uh, how they are in their youth, how they are in their training, how they are in their preparation. And uh, the, the warnings that you get in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus, the warnings you get about laying hands on a man too hastily, the warnings you get about what happens if, uh, if he falls into temptation, and it's not a sex thing, it's a pride thing. It's arrogance whereby they get puffed up and they're not ready for, for shepherding a flock, and it's an it's a, it's a arrogance snare because they fail to develop the childlike humility that, uh, that Timothy represents here. So all of these are the details that we'll see as we, uh, as we go into this uh, verse by verse and through the, uh, through the vocabulary. Um, so he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And so there's just really one last detail that he, you know, a piece of information that has to fall into place before he will allow Timothy to depart and that's basically the resolution to Paul's uh, jail situation. The, the circumstance of his imprisonment and and uh, how that's going to result. So, uh, you know, he says in verse 19 that it's shortly. He says uh, in verse uh, 23 that it could be immediately but it's still contingent upon as soon as I see how things go with me, and so who knows? You know, shortly could be a week, two weeks, a month. You know, there's just no. How do you know? And when you don't know, um, the definition of shortly. <laughs> okay, all right? Does that bother you at all? Because it's throughout the scriptures, and then the very last promise in the whole Bible is, "Behold, I come quickly." Right at the end of Revelation 22. So this is what we deal with here, as it relates to. Uh, as it relates to this. Then he goes on to say so this is Philippians 2.23, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with with me. Then he says and I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. That I myself also will be coming shortly. So um, if he's not with Timothy it sounds like he's not going to be but he will be very uh, shortly on the heels of that uh, when Timothy is able to make the round trip, so all of these details then come into play. So, how far does Timothy have to travel? Remember, no email, no Skype, no instant messaging. So, if he's going to go, if it's Rome, the traditional view, or if it's Ephesus, I think the better view. Whatever the wherever the origin is, Timothy has to travel there, and and investigate everything, and come back, report to Paul, be an encouragement to Paul. And then shortly after that then, based on that report, Paul hopes also then to come and, uh, and do that. In the meantime, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. And so Epaphroditus is going to be sent before Timothy. He's mentioned after Timothy, but he's going to be sent before Timothy. Make sense? Alright, so now there's, that's an additional journey that has to be made. Epaphroditus has to travel from Paul's location to Philippi. All right? There's a lot of trips back and forth. And, and once, you, once you sort these all out, by the way, I think it's the nail in the coffin for the traditional Roman origin uh, that this was Paul's Roman imprisonment in Acts 26. I don't think so. I think it was an Ephesian imprisonment uh, in the context of Acts chapter 20. Um, but be that as it may. Uh, he's going to send Epaphroditus. And What's Epaphroditus going to do when he gets there? He's going to hand them a scroll that today we call the book of Philippians. (laughs) He's going to hand them a scroll, this text that we're reading tonight. That's when they're going to learn that hopefully Timothy will be there shortly. And that maybe Paul will come after that. Okay, Because they're not getting a text message on their cell phone. Epaphroditus has to walk there with this scroll in hand that later becomes canonized as the book of Philippians. And so we'll talk about that as well because he too is called uh, an uh, an apostolos, a messenger or an apostle, and minister to my need in verse 25. And uh, Epaphroditus is a real hero. So we got got some things to take care of there with respect to him. Let me read the rest of this and then we'll take it back to the top at, at verse 19. But he says, "...I thought it necessary..." That's a have-to, that's an obligation. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your, and it's apostolos there, so we could translate it apostle if we wanted to, or your messenger, and minister to my need. So they had dispatched him. He's from Philippi, he's from that church. He had brought the funds that they had sent to Paul. Again, you don't just wire Western Union, you've got to send somebody to that location with the the cash in hand. And that was what Epaphroditus did. And uh, it says he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. Okay, Again, that takes time. Epaphroditus traveled from Philippi to, I think, Ephesus. He traveled from Philippi to Ephesus with the money, with the funds that Philippi uh, had provided for Paul's Imprisonment, and so and so that requires another trip. There's another trip because Paul got put in prison. Somehow, news got to Philippi that Paul was in prison. How did they get that news? Did that show up on their Twitter feed? Did that show up on their Facebook wall? Somebody traveled from Ephesus to Philippi and reported to them, "Paul's in prison." And so they're they're like, "Wow! I mean, it's been ages since we could send Paul any money." And, and they prayed about it and they got some funds together and said, hey, we can, we can finally revive our concern for him. And they, they put it together and they dispatched Ep- uh, Epaphroditus to go to Ephesus, to go to Paul's location. And then while he's there, he gets sick. And they heard about it. How did they hear about it? He didn't walk back to Philippi and say, by the way, I'm... No, somebody else made the trip. And told them about it, and then they got distressed. It really bothered them. It's like you know, if uh, if a certain uh, elderly couple happened to be in a car driving to Oregon, and and you're praying for them, okay? Well, nowadays we've got you know instantaneous communication, and yeah, we're not exactly. I mean, ugh, how old are they? Uh, well, they're fine. God's God's with them, okay. Well, you imagine the concern when you find out at their age that, uh, that they're there and they get sick while they're there. Huh. And they learn that Epaphroditus is sick. And they get concerned. It says here um, that they uh, heard that he was sick and that uh, he was distressed because they had heard about it. Anyway, So he got sick, they heard about it, he heard that they heard about it, and that distressed him. All right. Indeed, he was sick to the point of death. But what about this apostle and his healing power? Why didn't he just heal him? See, healing's already fading away at this stage of, of the early church. But God had mercy on him, not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. So therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again you may rejoice and may be, and I may be less concerned about you. That'll diminish p- part of what Paul was concerned about. So receive him then in the Lord. This is a phrase we're going to look at tonight, this in the Lord phrase. How do you receive somebody in the Lord? Kay? Or how do you hope in the Lord? The paragraph began with I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. So there's a lot of things that are done in the Lord. I'm going to give you that list tonight and I meant to print a handout but I'll do that and then you'll have a handout to take with you. It's an in the Lord handout. Or it will be when I make it. So uh, receive Him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like Him in high regard. Hold men like Him. Who are your heroes? Who do you pray for? I tell you, we prayed for a lot of pastors tonight, a lot of missionaries when we have our, our corporate prayer meetings. Hold men like Him in high regard. You know, If you're pastoring in a country where uh, uh, you know, Christianity can get you killed, <laughs> alright, I hold men like Him in high regard. Because He came close to death for the work of Christ, risking His life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. He's not insulting them, that's not a knock on them. <laughs> He's not insulting them for what you know he viewed as deficient; just a statement of reality, and uh, he was representing them. So there it is. All right, that's what we're dealing with. Paul hoped to send Timothy to do what? To conduct a spiritual appraisal of the Philippians. Ultimately, that's what it comes down to. Not to report on Paul's condition. That's what the the letter of Philippians is doing. That's what Epaphroditus is doing. Um, Ultimately, Timothy's going to go there and check things out so that I can learn of your condition. Hope to send Timothy to you shortly that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. It's a fact-finding mission, right? It's, It's what we criticize our politicians for doing these days. The mayor of Austin flies off to whatever and He's in uh, Davos, Switzerland. He's on some kind of a fact-finding mission. You know? Just Google it. That's a fact-finding mission. Stay in your office. And <laughs> why am I flying for you to go and do this, this thing? Alright. But it's a fact-finding mission. He's sending Timothy so that Paul can learn of their condition. Timothy's journey is so that Paul can learn. And if Timothy doesn't go, Paul won't learn. If Paul sends one of these other students, he won't learn. Because Timothy's the only one that's of like-mindedness. He's the only one of kindred spirit, it says. So that when the report comes back, it's accurate, it's biblical, it's apostolic. So he wants to uh, send him to conduct this mission, all right? Is that like, is he a spy (laughs) <laughs> is he a nosy gossip? Is he sending uh, you know, no. This is a legitimate uh, appraisal. This is a, a legitimate oversight function of, of an overseer, of of an elder, of a, of a pastor, or in Paul's case, Paul's an apostle, Timothy's a pastor, but he's there under a- apostolic ministry. Okay? And by the way, it's something that uh, Timothy was kind of... Uh, Known for. This segment of Philippians is actually similar to 1 Corinthians 4, verses 17 through 19. So let's take a look at that tonight. This uh, segment of Philippians is similar to 1 Corinthians 4, 17 through 19, which I think also points to the earlier date of Philippians rather than the later date of Philippians. I think in reality, if uh, if if Paul was writing this from Rome, then the tone would be more like First and Second Timothy, it'd be more like Titus, it'd be more like the the pastoral epistles, and and Timothy would have really a, an emphasis in Ephesus, and he would have a lot of work to be done in Ephesus and and uh, aspects there. He wouldn't be free to just pick up and go be a, a troubleshooter in in uh, in Philippi or to be a An investigator to be a property appraisal, or not property, but he's going to be a church uh, spiritual health appraiser in uh, in Philippi. And he did something similar in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 17, for this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. Now this is not I hope to send Timothy, this is I sent Timothy. Timothy was the courier. Timothy is the one that had the scroll in hand that we call today 1 Corinthians, all right? He was the courier and he brought them 1 Corinthians and he handed it to them. And uh, that's what we see here. So he is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. And he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ. If you're just starting out as a Bible teacher and you don't have a whole lot of experience and you're um, well, what do you do? Hey, you know what? Let's review what Paul taught last week. <laughs> Why not? You know? Doesn't hurt to teach it again. He will remind you of my ways which are in Christ. Again, there's that in Christ. Just as I teach everywhere in every church. Alright? And Ann can testify to this, others can testify to this, Sharon can testify to this. If, uh, if, you're, if you've heard your husband give a message in a pulpit, then you've probably heard him give the same exact message in other pulpits elsewhere as a guest speaker in Manshak, or a guest speaker in Fredericksburg or a guest speaker in Horseshoe Bay or Sweeney or wherever, okay? And that's nothing wrong with that. We encourage that. That's great. You give that message four, five, six times and you're going to get better every time. It's just your wife has to hear it all those times, Okay. And, uh, you know, she'll hear it so often she can probably give it better than you next time. Well, (laughs) that's how it works. So, uh, he will remind you of my ways, which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Now, some have become arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon. Now it's curious too, this is a little bit earlier in Timothy's ministry and he's not quite making the appraisal yet. He says, I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. And some of you are acting like you're never going to see me again, so you're getting kind (laughs) of uppity. But when I get there, look out. Because if I do show up, I'm going to find out. Not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. He's going to walk up. He's going to get there on the scene. Now, this is significant. He says, When I arrive, Paul says, I'm going to learn what spirit it is that's energizing you guys. Okay? Because it's not the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's clearly there's demonic powers, there's, there's uh, fallen angels at work here. And so I'm uh, going to find out the power that's feeding it. And and also, you know, what's the difference here between here and Philippians 2? He says, uh, he doesn't say that when Timothy, you know, I sent Timothy to you and when Timothy comes back, Timothy will report what your words are and what your power is and what's going on. He doesn't say that Timothy will give that kind of report. He says, when I get there, I will find out or I will learn, I will discover, I will find out. And so that's a little bit of a difference there. And I think it represents a a stage when uh, Timothy was not quite giving those kind of reports yet. But by the time Philippians is written, Timothy's able to go and give the appraisal and come back and and, uh, Paul can learn. All right. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. And so what do you desire? This is kind of like we were talking about King David when the Lord gives David his choice of punishments. Do you want a plague? Do you want a military defeat? Or do you want uh, you have three options there, right? It's almost like Paul's giving the Corinthians a similar (laughs) well, we can do this the easy way or we can do this the hard way. Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Okay? And that's uh, Again, that's a curious thing. This we we taught this in the First Corinthians series. Of course, now that was years and years ago. But in the First Corinthians series, and uh, and this is 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 like the the famous uh, "just wait till your father comes home" kind of message, right? You ever hear that? Oh, I heard that a lot. Wait till your father comes home. And uh, here's Timothy, the the young guy, the nice guy. And he hands him the letter, and just wait till Paul gets here. Okay. And, uh, and there it is. So it is a, a similar approach. But now, um, as we talk about this, hoping in the Lord, what does this mean? I hope in the Lord. Hoping in the Lord Jesus, what does that do? It subjects personal desire to the headship of Jesus Christ. That's what it does. Hoping in the Lord Jesus we can say the same thing, we should say the same thing. Scripture commands us to say the same thing. Whatever it is we hope to do, whatever it is we hope to do, I, you know, I hope in the Lord Jesus to uh, provide student housing someday for our seminary students. I hope in the Lord Jesus. What that means is, I hope, I want to do it. If it was up to me we'd have done it a long time ago, but see, it's not up to me. So I hope in the Lord Jesus. I'm subjecting my will to the will of God. Not my will but thine be done. And so we're subjecting personal desire to the headship of Jesus Christ. This is like when we offer in our prayers, Lord, if it could be in your will, such and such, such and such, such and such. Okay? And we've got to get in our the point in our prayers where we mean that when we say it. <laughs> okay? It's not just a, it's not a formula or an incantation. We learn, we learn how to use the right words when we pray. So we, we start with dear Heavenly Father and we end with in Jesus' name, amen. And, and, and we also learn that when we're asking for stuff we say, if it could be your will. Right? Nothing wrong with that. But we have to mean it when we're saying it. In other words we have to think through and actually we can't just be mouthing empty words. Because the immature prayer, the selfish prayer, the the prayer Paul was concerned about when he said they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus, is that we say the words, but we don't mean them. We say, Lord, if it could be your will. But what we mean is, Lord, it's my will. Please get on board. (laughs) (laughs) This is what I want. So somehow, retroactively, go back before the foundation of the world and decree this from eternity past because this is what I want to do. So is there any way you could make it your will? Okay? Please change your will to be this. And that's not right. Okay? His will is His will and it's been His will since He decreed it. God has a plan A, He does not have a plan B in any event. So we're going to subject personal desire to the headship of Jesus Christ. He hopes in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly. He may not be allowed to. It may not happen. And uh, not only do we have it there in Philippians 2.19 but we had it in the text we just read in 1 Corinthians 4.19 did you notice that language? If the Lord wills. I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. Okay. That's the intention. And if God lets it happen, it'll happen. If God doesn't let it happen, well praise God. Because He knows better than we do. And uh, thank you for those answers, no, that overrule. And uh, because what He has is so much better than what we thought we wanted to do. See, such a caveat should always be clear. Again and again and again. And we have this. And of course you know a lot of these passages. James 4.15 is huge. Everybody knows James 4.15. 1 Peter 3.17. There's a lot of these that uh, that speak to this. How do we subject our will to the will of God? How do we remain flexible? What it is, I think it's it's a faith flexibility, right? Can we call it that? Can we trademark that? Faith flexibility. That means we're walking by faith and we're staying flexible when we don't know what God has coming up <laughs> okay acts eighteen twenty one acts eighteen twenty one and um it's a curious thing spent uh, about a year and a half in Corinth. Okay, We're backing up in time now so this is even earlier than the events of 1 Corinthians 4. Um, he's in Corinth on the, on the uh, second missionary journey and he spends about a year and a half there. Uh, in Acts 18.11 he settled there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. And then as he's getting ready to leave now Um, it says in verse 18 Paul remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren, put out to sea for Syria with him were Priscilla and Aquila Um, it says in in Sancria he had his hair cut for he was keeping a vow Sancria was the port city on the coast there uh, that Corinth used, Corinth had two port cities east and west, Sancria is where Phoebe was from as a deaconess and he had his hair cut for he was keeping a vow. Then he came to Ephesus and he left them there. The them is Priscilla and Aquila. And he left them there. Now he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews and when they asked him to stay for a longer time he did not consent. That's, that's staggering to me. You know here's got an open door to talk doctrine in, with Jews in the synagogue. Normally the Jews are kicking him out and he has to turn to the Gentiles. Now he's got Jews in the synagogue that want to hear more. And uh, but he won't consent. So taking leave of them and saying, I will return to you again if God wills. And he sets sail from Ephesus. Now it's curious to me, by the time he does make it back, what happens? He comes back and he sets up a headquarters in Ephesus, he sets up a training ministry, he's going to stay in Ephesus for three years. By the time he makes it back, he's going to stay in three years. But the bulk of his fruit will not be among those Jews in the synagogue. By the time he makes it back, the Jews in the synagogue are becoming hostile. Anyway, we get to that on the third missionary journey. But um, anyway, whatever it was about this vow, I I think it was the haircut and the vow, I think it was the, the whatever it was that was driving Paul at this point. He wasn't going to stay there in Ephesus until he gets back finishes uh, missionary journey number two, delivers his report to uh, Antioch, and then, uh, then he's able to return to, uh, to Ephesus. But you'll notice it's if God wills. If God wills. So what do we say? We say Lord willing, right? We say uh, or if you want the Latin medieval expression you can say deus volt. You can do the uh, crusader thing I guess. I don't know. But uh, Lord willing, right? Lord willing and rapture pending. How about that? Lord willing and rapture pending. Sometimes on my emails, it's L W A R P O C. Lord willing and rapture pending, of course. Okay. So that's Acts eighteen twenty one. How about Romans 1.10? Just like Hatoita, H T O I T A, Hatoita. You seen emails with that? That's uh, here, there, or in the air. That's Hatoita. Or Lord willing and rapture pending of course. Romans 1.10 Um, and and he's writing to a group of people he'd never met yet. He'd never been to Rome. He wants to get to Rome. And so um, he says in verse 10, always in my prayers making request if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. How iffy is that language? <laughs> okay? If perhaps, if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you? Alright. I mean that's the kind of I mean boy you could yeah that's almost like Clinton, Bill Clinton language. That's almost like weasel words. But it's sanctified. I mean this is, this is in the will of God. I want to come, I've been wanting to come for years. I've been praying for you for years. Now he's writing a letter, probably the greatest letter in the New Testament right here, and he's sending Romans to them and saying someday someday maybe I get to come too. But it's by the will of God. If he never opens the door he never opens the door. Romans 15.32 Romans 15.32 like somebody this morning, have you ever been to Israel? Nope, never been to Israel. Did you ever want to go to Israel? Well, if God opens the door, I'll go. If He doesn't, I won't. I've got a horseback tour already scheduled. I just don't know the schedule. It's booked. Revelation 19, I'm going to be on white horses following Jesus. But uh, prior to that, I don't know, maybe. Romans 15, 32. Um, Verse 30 says, I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, I urge you. What is this? In the Lord or by the Lord? By our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. So what does that mean if I'm invoking deity in my exhortation? I'm not just asking you to pray with me. I'm urging you and I'm invoking the name of Jesus. I'm invoking the love of the Spirit. Strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea. So there's prayer request number one. Those that are disobedient in Judea. And that he may be rescued. Maybe, maybe not. That my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. So he wants, this is a win-win. The disobedient ones and the saints praying on both sides, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. So there it is. We are subjecting our personal desire to the headship of Jesus Christ. He's the head of the church. And if He wants us in Ephesus, He'll send us to Ephesus. If He wants us in Rome, He'll send us to Rome. We're here at His, we serve at His pleasure. 1 Corinthians 16.7 And this is what caused so much trouble in between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians is the stated intention that he mentions here in 1 Corinthians and then it turned out to be different. And they held it against him. And they blamed him for being wishy-washy. 1 Corinthians 16.7 Um He's talking about his plans. Gets the money thing out of the way first. He says in verse 1, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. He says, this procedure works great. Every time I've tried it, you guys do it too. Let's uh, get the money out of the way first. do Don't not don't, uh, don't make a big deal out of it on the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. Learn the doctrine of grace giving, set up your giving procedure, set up your giving operation. Everything should be as unto the Lord on a normal basis. Then when I arrive it's not a guilt thing, it's not a high pressure thing, it's not a ooh, Paul's in town, we better give extra money. Okay? So, uh, no collections be made when I come. And when I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. You're going to have all the money arranged ahead of time, so that when I get there I will appoint the, the, the couriers and we're going to just pack them off to Jerusalem. And there they go. And if it is fitting, appropriate, proper, for me to go also, then they will go with me. Does that seem wishy-washy? Does that seem up in the air? Well, there's a whole lot of maybes. He says, but I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I'm going through Macedonia. That's a definite. This this part of the itinerary is locked in. I'm definitely going to, I'm going through Macedonia and I will, when I'm through there I'm going to come to you. Okay. Well, that's not what ended up happening at the end of the, in between 1st and 2nd Corinthians things changed. He goes on to say, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. It's a time of year you don't want to be sailing into Corinth anyway, so um, there you go. And lo and behold, he does spend the winter with him and he writes the book of Romans. How about that? While he's there for I do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time, and then here's that glorious phrase, if the Lord permits. If the Lord permits. So everything we intend to do, we've got to stop and say, Lord willing, and rapture pending. But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. Eh, maybe, Okay. There's going to be an uproar in the marketplace and he's going to go into hiding and there's going to be some other issues. A riot, a near riot will occur. But then he says for a wide door for effective service is open to me and there are many adversaries. And so how do you plan? (laughs) You know, I I just think you've got to have a faith flexibility. You can have a general plan, but it's always as the Lord wills. And it seems like a wide door, but that door can close tomorrow. Jesus closes doors, no man can or he opens doors no man can shut. He shuts doors no man can open. Okay. At the moment it's an open door. So at the moment I'm staying here. But there are many adversaries. So if the door closes we'll change our plans. We'll stay flexible. God knows all these things. Alright. So um, this caveat should always be clear. And uh, that's the example of it there. Hebrews 6, three. I don't believe this is Paul, but the author of Hebrews uh, is clearly reflecting a Pauline attitude and mindset. Because he's anxious to get into the deep stuff. By the time he wraps up chapter 5, he's lamenting the fact there's a lot of deep Melchizedek stuff he can't get into because they're not ready for it. But he wants to. So he says, leaving the elementary teaching about Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. Don't you want to learn the deep stuff? Don't you want to learn and sink your teeth into some real meat? Or do you just want to, you know, get, uh, get the fluff every Sunday? Come to church and get, get more fluff. Okay, He says, I want to get into some deep stuff of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And he says, and this we will do if God permits. Love to take into the deep things of God, into the deep things of our priesthood in Melchizedek, if God permits. So that's what it's about and That's not travel plans, that's teaching plans. That's teaching plans. What are we going to do after Philippians? Well, Colossians, Philemon, Ephesians if God permits. Okay, That's the order of things. James 4.15 and of course this is the one you were waiting for, this is the one everybody thinks about. James 4.15 verse 13 says, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Okay, Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with planning, nothing wrong with charting out, you know, what what you intend to do. Say, well, I want to go to this school, I want to get this degree, I want, to, I want to, you know, pursue this career field, I want to live in this town, you know. Nothing wrong with that at all. But just recognize that God has better plans than you do. And along the way, something else is going to uh, pop up yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. Your life is just a vapor. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. So God, of course, has a plan from Alpha to Omega and sees all the what-ifs and all the scenarios. We're the little vapors. And uh, yeah, we're, we're looking down the road and we're thinking, okay. So in verse 15, instead what you ought to say is if the Lord wills we will live and also do this or that so everything we plan from college to career to marriage to retirement to whatever all those things if the lord wills if the lord wills say i was going to be a homicide investigator that was my goal by age 30 i wanted to be a homicide investigator i was watching columbo and i was perfecting my my act stupid act you know where i could just play the dumb you know, and then trap the criminal into confessing. Okay? <laughs> and, I, and But see, I was under 21 years old, and you can't be in law enforcement if you're under 21 years old. But then, hey, wait a minute, in the Army you can be an MP at 18. All right. So that way you get three or four years of, of law enforcement under your belt before you're even 21 years old. And then you can go into civilian law enforcement and then you can go into... Into at the university. In fact, the Lake Forest Park Police Department has tuition reimbursement for law enforcement courses at the University of Washington. So, hey, there you go. I'm going to have GI Bill money, I'm going to have Army money, I'm going to have Police Department money. These people are going to pay me to go to school. And, uh, yeah, homicide investigations by age 30. Didn't happen. Okay. <laughs> Matt can tell you. The sergeant there, the sergeant at the Lake Forest Park Police Department was Chief Perkins, but the sergeant was was Sergeant Miller. Bill Miller, which I thought was hilarious. I get to Texas and Bill Miller's a barbecue place for different things. All right. So you have plans? You think you know what you're going to do? You're going to go to this town, take this job, do this? God knows. Okay, So have a faith flexibility to say if the Lord wills then such and such, such and such. All right, then finally 1 Peter 3.17. 1 Peter. And this one is different than the others, but still it's the same concept. This... Um, Yeah, this is the same concept. 1 Peter 3, um, verse 13 says, Who is there to harm you if he prove zealous for what is good? Isn't that great? It's like if God is for us, who can be against us, right? Who is against us and who cares? Because God is for us. Same thing here. Who is there to harm you if he prove zealous for what is good? If you're zealous for the Lord... Who's going to hurt you for that? And who cares? Because that's who they are. And even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. So it's a win win, right? It's not fun to suffer, don't get me wrong. It's not a a party while it's happening, but you're blessed. You're blessed. And so do not fear their intimidation, do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. There already is the Lord, but you have to do the the setting apart. You have to do the conscious choice whereby even in the midst of, you're not going to draw that line and say, that's it, I'm done. You're sanctifying Him as Lord and so you're going to stay faithful. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is within you. And normally this verse is like a be ready to be an evangelist kind of thing, right? Uh, this verse is saying, you know, I should always be ready to give the gospel. Well, we can use that as an application, but that's not the main point of what it's saying here. The main point of what it's saying here is you're being persecuted for the name of Christ and rejoicing over that, and that's what they're asking you about. That's the testimony, that's the defense you're making. the The testimony you're giving is, hey, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ, and My affliction is for His glory. And then, oh, by the way, oh, you don't know the Lord? Okay, now let me give you the gospel then. But it may not be an unbeliever asking you to give an account. It may be a younger brother, a younger sister. It might be a weaker brother. It might be a a born-again believer that's not on the same discipleship track you're on. And you have a chance to make a defense to Him. Say, hey, get ready. Your turn's coming. So give an account for the hope that is in you, that is, having sanctified Christ as Lord in your heart. Yet with gentleness and reverence. All right? And keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you were slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. And then our statement in verse 17 For it is better, it is better, if God should will it so. That's where the will of God comes in. Say, so, well, I don't want this suffering. I'm gonna i to I'm gonna flee. I'm gonna run away. I'm gonna go to a place that they don't have that kind of persecution. Well, what if God wills it so? What if God doesn't, you know, the the, the pilgrims came here because of things in England and things in Holland and things. So they came here, but what if it, God should will it so that there's no more Mayflowers, there's no more pilgrims, there's no more emigration you stay where you are and you suffer for the name of Christ. I mean, where do we go when America stops being a Christian nation? Okay? Probably Ukraine. (laughs) Good Bible teaching in Ukraine. All right. If God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. And I've had people you probably have too, but people might tell you on an occasion well I don't think it would ever be the will of God for me to suffer. Why would God tell anybody to suffer? That's not right. God wouldn't have us to suffer. I was reading a Joel Osteen book that says God, I shouldn't have seen, well there are preachers that will tell you that it's never the will of God for you to suffer. This verse says it is. This verse says it's better if God should will it so, that you suffer. So here's suffering in the will of God. And it's better. So um, we have to subject our personal desire. Jesus said, you know, is there any way for this cup to pass by me? Uh, But no, there isn't. So not my will, but thine be done. I would prefer not to do this, but since I have to do this, well then, even though I have to, I want to. And you go and you do it for the glory of Jesus Christ. And that's what we see there. All right. On Sunday, Lord willing and rapture pending, we're going to expand upon this in the Lord Jesus thing. And I'll have a handout ready for you for Sunday. Or maybe I'll put it in the newsletter. How about that? Wouldn't that be fun? You'll get it in the newsletter. And then you'll have your handout of what can be done in the will of God. What can, I be, what can, we, what can we do in Jesus? That's a big slide. Okay. Things we can do in the Lord. Include knowing, being convinced, receiving a saint, working hard, greeting others, birthing a child, boasting, marrying. You know, you can marry in the Lord. In fact, you're supposed to. You have to marry in the Lord. Um, Enter a door of ministry, have confidence in another, have self-confidence, obey your parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Be strong in the Lord in the strength of His might. That was the armor of God passage in Ephesians 6. Trust in the Lord. Hope in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. Live in harmony in the Lord. Request and exhort in the Lord. Command and exhort in the Lord. Have charge over a flock in the Lord. Benefit from another in the Lord. And my favorite, die in the Lord. Okay? So that's our message Sunday morning, and I'll get a handout ready, uh, so you don't try to write all that down off of a, off of a screen. All right, Lord willing and rapture pending. If we hear a trumpet before Sunday, then uh, I'm not going to teach that. Okay, <laughs> we're going to be face to face with Jesus Christ, and and He'll be our teacher. How about that, Father? I thank you for tonight. I thank you for your truth, Father. I thank you for, the living and abiding Word of God. It is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And Father, it is a joy for us to study to show ourselves approved uh Father to learn about contingency planning and how to leave ourselves entirely in your will and uh we can make tentative plans, but every tentative plan is your will be done and so Father, uh, we have tentative plans as it pertains to student housing as it pertains to several things in this in this ministry so father. Uh, Make, make your will known so that we can be obedient. And uh, most of all, Father, keep our heart tuned to you so that we don't insist on, on all the things we're doing and uh, have our eyes closed to what it is you have before us. So Father, uh, keep our eyes focused where they need to be. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for all your grace and your faithful grace provision. We thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.